What are the relationships that uh, we wish to improve? You know, most often, let's face it, it's the people we spend the most time with, uh, family members or extended family members. Maybe they feel neglected or, or we don't care. Uh, we're starting school, and, and some of you would say, you know, I'm going to go and meet my teacher and my kids' teachers, and, and I'm going to invite them over for dinner, well, or not, okay? Uh, maybe it's a, a new neighbor or an old one that you haven't spent much time with. Uh, 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 maybe it's someone at work, too. Someone at work that you think uh, would be interested in a, in a relationship at work. Some people just want to do their work and leave, but, but many want relationships at their work. Um, so and yet you've you got to say, if I want to improve some relationships, maybe some I don't. How many of you want a better relationship with your family physician? And you'd probably say, not to my deductible is fully met, okay? Um, how about, that would be unprofessional, wouldn't it? You know, because you have a professional relationship there. Uh, how about your garbage collector? Now, they're counting on a tip at Christmas, and hopefully you, you do give one, but you would say, that seems a bit unnecessary. You know, I'm not out there to greet them every Monday morning at 6 a.m. when they collect the trash. That seems unnecessary. How about the nosy neighbor, the one who just can't get enough information about you and loves to share it with the rest of the block? You go, that's dangerous. I might share something that is just blown out of proportion and, and, and just doesn't work. And I've got one, um, and maybe... You can verify this. How many of you have a deep and personal relationship with the IRS agent uh, that has signed your return every year? None. You, do you know why? Imagine what that would be like. I mean, uh, your doctor would be unprofessional. Your garbage man would be unnecessary. Um, uh, your nosy neighbor would be dangerous. Okay. The IRS agent would be foolish. Well, think about it. If that person, male or female, comes into a dinner party and you say, let me show you all I own, okay? Uh, here's the boat. And look, you see the, the Christmas bonus I just got? Uh, more than that, here are some wonderful gifts that were given to me by some of my clients. Uh, it, it's literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you notice this person is taking notes. It, it's foolish. And, and what we're saying is when it comes to government, we want some sort of wall between us, especially when it comes to money in government. Now, I pay my taxes. I, I get my return in on time. I get my estimated taxes in on time. I try to have everything right and proper so they don't interfere with my life and get to know too much. I, I, I think I'm honest in, in what I say. My, my tax accountant says I'm honest. But I don't want to get that, know that person closely. And, and can I say this? Um, uh, first of all, if Jonah is able to come three weeks ago and speak about the fantasy of zombies, right? Those of you here, I can speak about IRS, right? At least their reality. But, but, but the similarity here is why you don't want a close personal relationship with them is you believe that distance is really important. Now, in a way, just a small way, the relationship you desire 
with the IRS is similar to a relationship that many of us desire with God. We know they both exist, but we don't want either of them meddling. We want our independence. We think we know how life works best. And so if, there, if you understand that similarity and you realize that either you or people you know say, you know, God is like the IRS to me. I, I believe in them, but I do not plan to spend much time with them. I believe that if there is any relationship that we should desire to improve, it should be our relationship with God. I say that because I believe that a relationship with God improves every other relationship I have on earth. And I also believe that a relationship with God would help me navigate this life better. It it is my relationship with God that helps me in so many of the decisions I have to make, uh, so many of the relationships I'm trying to foster. And so, friends, in the next couple months, I want us to look at our relationship with God, and I'm going to go to Genesis in the next couple months on two different levels. Uh, The first vantage point we're going to be looking at is uh, how to be God's friend. And, and, And nobody does that better than Abraham in Genesis 12 to 25. And I invite you to read that with me as we go through it. Uh, we'll be looking at what are those indicators of friendship. What, what are those, uh, uh, you might say, signposts of a close and personal trust, one between the other. And, and if you're one who comes from the background of saying God is high and lofty and I can't get in touch with him, the best thing I can do is to obey him and not get in trouble, I want you to know Abraham's going to tell you differently. The second part is I want to go backwards into Genesis, in Genesis 1 to 11, and realize and sort of draw the analogies for you that um, what we are experiencing today in a secular sort of atmosphere, growing secularism in the United States, is not new. Believe me, it's not new. You find it in Genesis 1 to Every one of the trends that we are experiencing today, you can find the roots of it in human nature in Genesis 1 to 11. So we're going to be looking at the different alternatives to God, you might say, or, 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 or how they emerged uh, in, in history, and not just the alternatives, but what I like to call them was worldviews. These uh, either have, these other worldviews have either denied the existence of God or the authority of God in our lives, or deny that there can be only one God. So that's where we're going to be going now into October, and I hope, I hope you're here to enjoy it with me. Um, I, I want to um, now get very personal about being God's friend and from this man who is actually called God's friend by other people in Scripture. It starts this way in Genesis 11, verses 31 to 32. Abraham, or Abram as he's called then, has a father. His father's name is Terah. And uh, uh, he, he, uh, Ab- Abram has two other brothers. He also has a uh, a nephew named Lot. And so it reads this way. Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So Abram is both an historical figure, 
There's no argument about that. What you read about Abram in the Bible, that there was such a person. But more than that, Abram has a history. He has a father and two brothers. The father takes uh, this son, not apparently um, not the other two, to travel to Canaan. And that area means that they're going to what we call Palestine and Israel today. They leave from uh, probably somewhere around this famous city in, in uh, uh, Iraq called Basra, where the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers meet in eastern Iraq. They travel up the Euphrates River and, until where they get now into, cross it from I, uh, Iraq into Syria, and then go down in the horseshoe-like formation down into Canaan. The problem is that Terah stops in northern Syria. It says that his intention was to go to Canaan, but he stops in northern Syria. He settles there and dies there. And Abram, therefore, is left as the oldest brother uh, to be the family head of his wife, uh, his nephew Lot, and Lot's family. And so there they are at the border of Turkey and Syria. Now, I realize some of you are saying, is this geography, and are we going to have a test at the end? No, you're not. But it, it's where the Euphrates uh, River crosses the border of, uh, between Turkey and, and, and Syria. And if you've ever been there, I've only seen pictures, but if you've ever been there, it's a good spot. It, it, it will serve you well. It's not a bad desert. It's got a river, it's therefore got trees, it's got vegetation, and as a herdsman, you could do well there. And I imagine that because Abram had no other intention but to be where his dad was, the good thing to do would be to stay right where he is and raise all of those who were dependent upon him as well as carry out his business right there until he has an encounter with God. And God speaks to Abram. And Abram listens to God. And the result of that, we can see in world history today. That encounter changes the whole course of history. The effects of God's encounter with Abraham are still seen today. So here's what happens now as we approach uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Here is what this encounter was. Out of nowhere, apparently... It says this, again, father's dead, you have your wife and no kids, you have uh, your nephew and his family, you have all of your your servants, and um, you have all of your flocks, because you're a herdsman, and uh, this is what you have. So life has gotten very complicated. The easy thing to do is stay. But the Lord said to Abram, leave. Leave your country, in other words, where you are now and where you were before. Leave your people and your father's household, though he took Lot with him, and go to the land I will show you. Now, if you're like me, I say, okay, tell me the land you're going to show me. No, I'm telling you to go to the land I will show you. I'm not telling you yet where that is. Okay, so God tells Abram to leave, to not go back to finish his father's intention and to go to that place that God would show him. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read this encounter, and it's on January 6th every year, okay, as I go through the one-year Bible, every time I read this encounter, I and others I know get a little nervous. Uh, You may think like this, God never is that blatant with me. 
And if he was, I'd be spooked. And you need to know that God has the ability to communicate in many ways. He's communicated through his prophets. He's communicated through his son. He's, you know, he has many ways to speak to us. But this was the way that he spoke to Abram because Abram did not have what we have. So if you are a little nervous, understand that God doesn't have to speak just this way, but he can speak other ways. But he speaks. He's a communicating God. And uh, what Abraham did not have, he did not have the Bible. God speaks through the Bible, but Abraham did not have the Bible. You might say Abram is in the Bible historically, in literature. He's in the Bible, but he does not have the Bible Unlike most of us today, we have the Bible, but we're not in the Bible. Just a little dig, okay? Uh, So now God speaks, and he speaks directly to him. And friends, I want you to know, no matter what background you have come from, even if you have no spiritual background ever, God still speaks today. He still speaks and and it's done in such a way in which he, he tells Abram, this is what I want you to do. Uh, and, and Abram, I'm only speaking to you. You do not have around you any good Christian friends. You'll have one show up a little later. You do not have for you any written code, any, any words from me except what I spoke to you. In fact, the wife that, 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 that is your wife and, 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 and your nephew, who should be the closest relationships you have, they're not much of a help for you spiritually. Um, but in the midst, I am commanding you, Abram, and not just to go and suffer, but I'm commanding you and I'm leaving you what we call an upside. And I want you to know, when God speaks, there's often an upside. And we should be uh, salivating at the things that he's telling us. Here's what he says to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Not just I'm going to bless you, but through my blessing to you, you're going to bless many others. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And now for the big one, God's plan. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now we understand that through history, and, and this is the main context of this passage. From Abram comes Isaac, and from Isaac comes the twins, and from Jacob, you know, there of the twins comes uh, 12 sons, and of those 12 sons uh, come the whole nation of Israel. But more than that, there is that one great nation. But here's the other thing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So it's just not a nation, but it's the whole of humanity is going to be blessed for you. I call that an upside. There's nothing in there necessarily about great wealth or great fame, but there's something about a heritage, a legacy that's going to be left. And here's the good news. Abram left. He leaves where he is up there on the border of Syria, and he completes the journey, that sort of what's called the Fertile Crescent that comes all the way down into Canaan. And uh, he leaves when he's 75 years old. Wow. He has a wife, but no kids, a nephew with his family, many servants, loads of livestock. And in essence, he's finishing the journey of his father. But in reality, in reality, he is among the first historical figures in Scripture 
that listens to God's voice and who follows it. He's not perfect, but he listens and he follows through. So Abram does not have many of the things we have. What does he have? Uh, it, it says this just a few verses on once he got there, and then it repeats this throughout the next several chapters of Genesis. Uh, I'm in, in, I'm now in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your offspring I will give this land. He had come into Canaan. And so there he, uh, he built an altar, not and altar, an altar there, and the Lord who had appeared, uh, to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, uh, Abram has little of the methods we have where we know God can speak to us. He has no scripture. He has no other voices. He has no Christian media, no great authors, no worship leaders, no celebrities who share their faith and, and, and all their, all their followers. Oh, what a faith, you know. Uh, he, you know, he, he doesn't even have friends to encourage him. What does he have? It appears that all he has is an eagerness to discern God's voice and know God's voice as distinct from all the other voices around him. And the way that he seems to discern this voice is found in this little verse here, verse 7, where it says that he built an altar to the Lord who had spoken to him. And again in verse 8, it says, uh, uh, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Uh, What's an altar? I I want to simplify it. I'm going to tell you what it was for Abram, and then I'm going to tell you what it is for us. The altar for Abram was a pile of stones. Gathered a pile of stones, put them together. The Savior, he gave his offering. Uh, He only had sheep to offer, so he offered sheep. Okay, But it was also a place where it says he called on the name of the Lord, a place where he could give his prayers and be silent before God. It is not the first time that he's at his altar uh, it doesn't appear that he had established an altar yet till he got to Canaan. But sometime when he was alone, he was able to hear that first call of God. Leave where you are and go to the place I'm going to show you. But now when he's in this place that God is showing him and God promises to give him land, just about everywhere he goes, he sets up this other altar. Now, I want to say that there's at least two things about an altar that we should be aware of. It's a specific place. And it seems to come at a specific time. And at that time and at that place, Abram seems to be alone. He seems to be alone. It's not that God speaks every time he's at the altar, but at certain times, God speaks to him when he is there. So get that right now. He sets aside both a time and a place. He gives his offering, he says his prayers, but he's also silent before God because if you're not silent, you're never going to hear him. There's no record of any other people ever being with him and no record of any other distractions. So when he goes to this place at whatever time, he is open to what God might want to tell him. And you see, it's from this consistent, it seems like, habit of his life where it wasn't seen in his father. It's not seen in, in his wife. And it's not seen in, in, in his nephew Lot. But it's a habit of his life that it's at these times that God seems to speak. And it develops a relationship that is referred to many times in Scripture. Once by a, one of the great kings of Israel later on, uh, kings of Judah. 
uh, once by the prophet Isaiah, probably living at the same time as this king, and, and another time in James. And here's what it says. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. God's friend. I have a longing that in my family, I would sometime be given the title, Oh Great One. (laughs) And uh, it still has not happened. I give them plenty of options and opportunities. Uh, I even bribe them. Uh, who knows? I still have a, you know, a couple decades left, and, and maybe it will, but probably not. It doesn't fit. I'm Dad. I'm Jim. I'm Honey. But I'm not a great one. Abram is God's friend. Because that's how he's known in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because we're looking at what we think is almost 4,500 years of history, because we have the New Testament today and we continue to read it and what comes out again and again, who is Abram? God's friend. If you want to be God's friend, why not study from a man who's had that title for 4,500 years? I can't think of anyone better who would help you understand what that looks like. So from his habit of setting aside a location and a time to be with God where he waits on God's voice and God occasionally speaks. Do you understand that in terms of all the relationships in our life that we're surrounded by, by so many relationships that we have to sort of give weight to them. The lightweight ones are up here, let's say a scale of 1 to 10. The lightweight ones are up here because when you put a heavyweight on it, it goes like this, see? So the heavyweight ones are down here. The, the people that you know in the community, you know, the, the people you call by name at the, at the bank or at the market, you know, you've you got to admit that those, they're about a 1 or a 2. A couple of them may be a 3, right? And... and, and did I do that? No. There are one or two, a couple, maybe three, right? And, and then you go through all the other relationships you have in life. Some of you, where you work, you have teams of people that you work together with closely. Those team members deter- determine the success of your work, so you better learn how to work together well. And, and, and so uh, understand that you might put those uh, a little bit heavier down like a four or five or six because the, the future of your job and, and your success at work depend upon them. But my guess is you do not trust them with your secrets or your fears or your dreams or, or how much is in your 401k. But they're there. A few of us have close friends, maybe Christian friends that we've had for long periods of time. And, and for those, you might give a seven or an eight, and hopefully you have some friends in your family, some, some Christian family friends. And, and hopefully one of these is your spouse, which unfortunately Abraham didn't seem to have. Um, and, and, and hopefully you can give them a, a nine or a ten. But the heaviest weight, the one that weighs the heaviest, should be the one with God. And because Abram believes in a communicating God, he listens to God and he acts upon what he hears. And throughout the rest of history, he gets that nickname, friend of God, God's friend. 
So with that in mind, here's how we go beyond a faith in God, which most of you have, I understand. You believe that God exists, to developing a friendship with God. And just think about that for a minute, though. A friendship with God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout Genesis 1, whenever anything came into being, it said God spoke and it was so. Can you imagine that we start from nothing and now we get planets that are spinning and in the right place and, and we have galaxies and, and clumps of stars. We have all these beautiful things and it all began with nothing. And it was God who did that. Um, he brought life to his creation simply by saying, let there be and there was. He makes man, male and female, in his image, and he only has to say, let us, and it happens. He's the one who was able to go to the tomb of a four-day dead man and through his son simply speak and say, Lazarus, get out here. And Lazarus comes back to life. This is the one that Abram and you and I can be called into a friendship with. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The New Testament letter called Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who come from a background where pleasing God means simply obeying what God has told you to do. But God's friends believe in two things. First, that God exists, but secondly, He's a rewarder of those, not who obey him, but those who seek him. And Abram is a God seeker. Through that place and through that time, he stands before him and he listens to what God has for him. Now, how does God speak to Abraham? If you go through the encounters that he has with God in terms of the 25 plus years in which that history of those encounters is closely watched, if you go through those, you will see that here's what God usually says. He speaks to him in words of a personal encounter. He speaks to him in words of promise, and he speaks to him in words of purpose. Um, It's not in here, but I was just thinking, many of us want to speak to God and have him speak to us just to know we're okay. And I, and I get that. What do you mean okay? Hey, you're still loved. Your life is messy. Haven't given up on you yet. Keep trying. And, and friends, that's not bad. I, I, don't, I don't mean that. But would you consider right now what he says to Abram? First of all, I want to give your life purpose. I want you to come into what I have planned for humanity and take a part in that. Where I plan to have all people, all nations, come into the, uh, into the presence of Jesus Christ who gave his life for them. I want you to have a part in that. 
And so he's saying to Abram, uh, a great nation, in fact, all the world will be blessed through you. Because out of Abram's line eventually comes Jesus. And out of Jesus' line eventually comes you. In the spirit. So it's words of purpose. Do your purposes come from God? Next are words of promise. In other words, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you. And and they're listed right there, and they're very specific. And God eventually gives them all to Abraham. And and, and the the, the one thing that I, I come back to every time is, I'm going to bless you in great ways, but more than that, you're going to be a blessing. Now, I love to be blessed as much as anybody. You know, pour it on me. But more than that, I want to be a blessing to others. I want to know that I have influence, impact, bring joy, and, 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 and meaning to other people's lives. And that's a promise that God gives as he speaks to Abram. And the final thing, which, again, you know, many people will, from many different religions, will, will kneel to pray. But the final thing is, is he's speaking to Abram in a personal encounter. This is one to one. Purpose, promise, personal. The God who is powerful, holy, righteous, awesome, uh, majestic, and all that he is, is not far away from the person seeking him. And he is eager to let you in on what he has for your life. Uh, my growth group this summer, at least we're, we're trying to read another book. It's so hard for us to get together in summer, but I, I'm reading a, uh, we're reading a book together and I'm sending my thoughts to them and, and, and we're trying to connect that way. But, uh, in one of the, in, in the book we're reading in chapter five, it says this. Jesus promised that those who would follow him would only experience three things. They would be absurdly happy, entirely fearlessly, and, and entirely fearless and constantly in trouble. One of those I'm experiencing, okay? But, but I love the way that it's put, that when you are in God's purposes, you, you understand it's not necessarily going to be easy, but you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing to others. So let me ask this. How do you believe God speaks to you today? I believe in the God of Abraham, that he is a communicating God. I believe that he is, that, that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and God wants to speak into our lives, every follower of his Son. Today you have his word. You can trust it. As you read it, you might have tons of questions, and sometimes it may, may, may make you angry, and I know some people who have sometimes thrown it across the room because they didn't like what they read, but they couldn't deny it either. Today you have his word. Today you have Christian friends. Abraham had neither of those. He was a lonely soul when it came to spiritual encouragement from others. Today you have God's sure inner voice from his spirit. And through friends, the spirit, and his word, God wants to have a transformational relationship with you. And you have the same God who spoke to Abraham and who wants to speak to you. So I have, uh, I have two questions for you. Are you listening and how do you listen? Are you listening and how? Um, that to me is what's most important. If you are, uh, if you are or you want to be, 
uh, one who's listening to God than just a word of caution that God's ways may not be what you expect and his thoughts may not be what you think he's going to do or how he wants to speak to you. But if you're open to the fact that he's the God of the universe and you're becoming aligned with him, then uh, if you think you have life pretty well figured out, be ready for some serious changes. In um, February, Barb and I met with two other couples that we had known in the 70s And for you millennials, that's the 1970s, not the 1870s, okay? In the 70s, when we were in ministry together in California, and at certain times our lives intersected, but Barbara and I kept blowing it because we were moving from one continent to another, and it was hard to keep in touch. But uh, now, you know, we're talking from the 70s to, you know, 40 years later, um, uh, we find ourselves together with these two couples again at, at a meeting in February over lunch after church. And so we're talking to one another, and, and up comes the conversation of how is God speaking to you? And uh, apparently this wife jots down everything she ever hears about how God is speaking. And, and, and she has all these favorite testimonies, and she says, I try not, not to narrow it down, but she, she's picking up when people say uh, God said or I read or God used this in my life, how the ways God communicates. I want to share a few with them as I close today. And I, I do this understanding that sometimes when God speaks, he's speaking to your deepest needs. And, and I get that. Some of you come from such horrible, horrible backgrounds. All you need to keep hearing from God is I still love you. I still love you. You're still mine. And I, and I get that. But sometimes he's going to give us direction in life and purpose in life and promises in life. Here's, a, here's what she said about herself. She says, uh, I look for a place where I will uh, not be disturbed or distracted. And some of you mothers out there are saying, yeah, that'll come in 10 years. Okay. And I get that. No phones, no noise, no kids asking questions. Okay. Um, for me, I get a cup of coffee and my Bible, and uh, I, I get back into bed. Yes, in bed. I have church in bed. I pop up on my pillows, and um, I'm leaning against the, the headboard with my journal and my pen in hand, and I take several deep breaths, and I just begin to talk to God. And then for several moments, I just am quiet and see if he has anything to say to me. I like her. But she's not me, okay? Here's what some others are saying. Uh, I thought I had to be a spiritual academic, a pastor or a scholar, uh, or, or someone with a special gift to hear God's voice. Uh, but God speaks to me a lot through his unconditional love. And I keep remembering the times when he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, here's another one. God speaks to me through worship and music. I'm drawn up to heaven when I'm singing praise music. Here's another one. When I journal and write his words and thoughts down on paper, I can test it with scripture and pray about it more. And another one. God speaks to me in books and teachings. That, that similar to me. I've learned a lot about the fatherhood of God in written materials, but God is showing me himself, who he is, 
through his still small voice and sometimes bold statements of love and direction. The final one, uh, I ask God a lot of questions and tell him when I'm angry or upset about something, and he comforts me with his kind words and love and caring and seep into my heart. That's what some people say. How does God speak to you? How does God speak to you? How do you hear God's voice? Uh, I said there wasn't going to be in a test today. Okay, that's true. There's an assignment. Uh, at the Connect Center back there, I placed several 3 by 5 cards. There's also the, uh, the welcome cards and all those other cards. Uh, I'd like you to be thinking, if God communicates with you and to you, How's he do it? And I'd simply like you to jot that down in a note and put it in the covered box, get it in my hand. You can do anything you want with it, but I would love to hear. Now, you can do it by car. You can email me this week. You can kill a tree or you can burn coal. Either one, it doesn't matter to me, okay? But I would just love to be hearing from you about how God is speaking. How does he get through to you? Let's pray. Lord, you are a communicating God. From the very beginning of creation, you said, let there be. And there was. The power of your voice is astounding. The first thing, Lord, we understand is you want us to hear this. You want us to hear from you, I sent you my son, Jesus, so you could be my friend. He was separated from me so you could be reconciled to me. If you've never heard that message from him, ponder it today. But Lord, as your people, even though we realize it could be dangerous and costly, I think we would all say, For eternity, we will never be sorry that we heard every word you were trying to tell us. Even though we don't recognize or foresee all the unintended consequences of that, we would love to hear everything you want to tell us. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said.